Hey, it's great to see you all, and I know you, many of you all, especially those who have been associated with Princess Warrior Weekend, you a, a great weekend already. I've heard reports and seen how God is uh, giving you some fun times together, some good times, but also I've gotten a few texts of where I know that God has already moved in some of your lives, and uh, we're seeing that demonstrated even today as God has worked and as God is just making his spirit known to you. And I'm grateful for what God is doing. Look forward to how some of you are going to be able to share those public decisions that you made for Christ in the days to come. Really excited about God growing. Look, part of what we're doing today, part of what Princess Warrior Weekend, part of what Sunday morning is about, part of really what we are as a church is that we are growing in Christ. Just as George talked about earlier, is that we all ought to be growing in Christ. As a matter of fact, we have adopted that statement, that vision statement, that mission statement, that we are growing in Christ, that we are connecting in community, and that we are engaging in mission. That is the reason we exist as a people. It is the reason we exist as a church is to see people continually grow in Christ, connect an authentic community of believers, and also engage in the mission that God has given to us. I want to show you today in Scripture how growth itself has to have a beginning. There is always a beginning somewhere. For you to be able to grow, you must have a definite beginning in Christ Jesus. Let me show you this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. He's down in Corinth and he's thinking back to what God has done. And actually he's received a report from Timothy as to what's happening in the church life. And he writes to them and he reminds them of the beginning. The beginning moment of the gospel and growth in their lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak... Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as the Father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul writes to this church just a few months after he had been there. He had helped birth this church. And now he's writing to them and he's saying, hey, don't forget 
Know that you had a definite beginning in what God was doing. There's so many things that are trying to unsettle you in your faith. There's so many things that are trying to cause doubt in you. But you need to remember back. Because growth has to have a beginning. And it has to be a definite beginning. Now, see, all of you today, as I look out, all of you are living, breathing creatures, right? As a matter of fact... You look a lot more lively than my 9 o'clock. There were about four people in there I thought had already. That, anyway, but you are alive. You are alive. Well, that means that if you are living and you're breathing, there is an assumption that I can make that you entered into life at some point. You were born. That's an assumption, right? If there's life, if there's some type of growth, in your, it's because you were born physically. So when you talk about spiritual growth, when you talk about how we are growing in Christ, that assumes that you had a definite beginning in Christ. You see, you cannot learn to run in God before you learn to walk in God. And you cannot walk in God until you take the first step toward Him. You have to take a step of faith toward Him. You have to take a step of salvation toward Him. And then you begin to grow. That is the beginning point. And that's what Paul is talking about. Look at all these different statements. In verse 1, he says, for you yourselves know. In verse 2, he says, as you know. In verse 9, he says, for you remember. In verse 10, he says, you are witnesses. In verse 11, he says, as you know. Look at that repetition. He's pointing them back over and over to this moment of beginning, this moment of salvation in their lives. And yes, salvation had come and the church had been formed. We could talk about how, well, it's referring to the church and its beginning and the form of, forming of the church. But the reason the church came together is because individuals had been saved. Individuals had encountered the gospel. Individuals had begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. And thus, they were brought into the family. The church was established. There has to be a beginning. Hear me say this this morning. We all need a beginning. We all need to make sure that we have begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it should be a relationship that is memorable. It should be a beginning that is memorable. What I note about this is that it was a beginning framed to remember. Have you ever noticed how we want to capture moments? Like there's certain things that happen in our lives we want to make sure we have some type of picture of or video of. We want to make sure that we've captured it so we can remember it. Even this morning, um, when I was looking through my, my little messages, I had gotten some messages that had pictures of upward games yesterday because my children played upward. And some of you all, like, coached upward, and you were there with the upward games, right? Some of you were doing that. Some of you won. A few of you lost. But... You were there for upward, and some of you want to remember, some of you want to forget, probably. But there were pictures. It was, it was nice to be able to look and see my son or see my daughter play. It was a memorable event. Usually, when you have some type of significant event, especially as it relates to your relationship with somebody else, you have pictures. And what Paul is doing here is like try, trying to say, hey, I'm framing a picture for you so you remember. This is what it was like. This is the image. This was the beginning of the relationship. So for me, I always try to personalize things. I always think of, 
beginning of relationships, beginning of relationship with Jesus, that kind of stuff. And for me, I, I think like how God began a relationship between me and Leslie. Like eventually it was into a marriage relationship itself. So like most of you may know this, but I met Leslie like in kindergarten. Isn't that kind of sweet? Not one person in here said, "Ah." Kindergarten, in that kindergarten, I met her. I wished I could say it was romantic, but it was not in kindergarten. You know, I met her. I, I knew her. We knew each other all through the years. We actually took every class together just about. There were very few that we were separated in. So I saw her every day at school for all these different years. And, you know, when we got to be seniors in high school, uh, I guess that's when my heart began to turn toward her. It actually happened. I remember when it happened. I remember the beginning, okay? Beta Club Convention. Any of you been in Beta Club? That's a good place to find good relationships. Beta Club Convention, Biloxi, Mississippi. We were down there, and uh, all of a sudden, it just seemed strange. The brown eyes that Leslie had, they twinkled just a little more than they did before. The laugh that I thought had been obnoxious, suddenly became attractive to me. And I became exhilarated in her presence. It was different. It was the beginning. It was the beginning of a relationship. Well, of course, then our wedding day. That was the beginning of the marriage relationship. There we were at Unity Baptist Church. Yes, I still, I love to be able to say I married the girl from the Unity community. That's where I married her from. We got married at Unity Baptist Church. And when we were there getting married, I remember like all of these people, they were coming to watch this ceremony. And then, of course, you had the photographer. It seemed like multiple photographers. And they were taking pictures every time, you know, like, Every time we would move, we had to like stand in front of certain things and we had to pose certain ways and all that kind of stuff. They like took all of these pictures. They do that at weddings. You know that, don't you? Like they're going to take pictures of everything because they want to capture the memories. Sometimes I go back and I look at that 125-pound, 21-year-old uh, husband that was getting married, and think, what happened to him, you know? Well, he just got better because there's more of him now. But that was the day, that was the relationship where it began in, a, in this marriage, and we were trying to capture it, we are trying to frame it. Because, listen, there needs to be a beginning. There has to be a beginning of a relationship, and you need to somehow remember how the relationship began. And Paul writes and he says, you yourselves, you know that our coming to you was not in vain. In verse 9, he had said, you know what manner of entry we had to you. The idea is that you know when we came to you that that was not an empty visit. That was not an unfulfilled visit that we made. Actually, that was the beginning of something that was awesome, that was special, a relationship that you began with Jesus Christ and you began with each other. That was the beginning, and you know it. You can think about it. You can frame it in your mind and your heart. 
And he said it was memorable, not because of the sensationalism that came along with it, not because of the flattery or not even because of the persuasive words. He said, but you remember it as the gospel took hold of you in your life. You remember this. Now, I believe in well-reasoned arguments. I believe that when somebody presents a message, like I'm doing this morning, it needs to be well-reasoned, well-thought-out. I believe it should be persuasive in some ways. I, I believe all of those kinds of things. But you and I should know that the beginning of our walk with Christ is not based on how persuasive people are to us or how well-reasoned they are to us. Our beginning in Christ comes not because of well-reasoned words. Our beginning in Christ comes because of God's power and his work in our life to change us and transform us. Because I really believe this. I believe if I could talk you into the kingdom, that somebody else could talk you out of the kingdom. If that's all it is. If it's only because you think, well, Brother Reggie made a well-reasoned argument. If that's all that you accept Jesus Christ on, then you have, I think even I have failed in some extent. It is not just about a well-reasoned argument. It's not just about, yeah, that sounds attractive to me. It is about God doing a work in your life and changing you. This is the way Paul described it back in chapter 1, verse 5. He said, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. He said it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was through the assurance of the Holy Spirit. The assurance also could be translated the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that you and I cannot be saved except the Lord Jesus convict us of who we are? The Holy Spirit must come in our lives and say, hey, you have sinned. You have messed up. You need a Savior. The Holy Spirit has to do that. Not Reggie's words, not George's words, not John's words. It must be the Holy Spirit that implants that in your heart and says, hey, you have sinned and you have fallen short of the glory of God and you need a Savior and this is Jesus. And if you'll place your faith in him and trust, if you'll repent, you will have salvation. It must be the Holy Spirit's work. It must begin like that. Do you remember, some of you in here, many of you may have been saved. And I praise God for that. But do you remember when the Holy Spirit worked in your life in that way? Do you remember the beginning? Because again, it's going to be hard for you to grow. You're going to run, you're going to try to strive for things, and you're still miserable because guess what? You never really began your process of growth. You remember? So I was sitting at Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church. I was sitting kind of back in one of those pews one Sunday night. I'd gone to church all my life. My mom made sure that I was in church for every Sunday school class, for every special event, for every uh, worship service. I mean, we had to go to everything. My mom was one of those that drug me along. She, she, would, <laughs> she would literally be like this. I would say, Mom, I'm sick. I don't think I'd go to church today. Says, You're sick? You really? Really? Prove it. Prove it. Yeah, you know, just prove it. So, you know, I may be sick. I may throw up. Isn't that proof? That's proof. 
I'd throw up. You know what she'd say? She'd say, now, don't you feel better? We go to church now. You feel a whole lot better about it. What? What? We just went to church. And I heard the gospel all my life. I heard it, but I will tell you that as I was growing up, even though I heard my preacher preach, even though I heard Sunday school, even though I heard my youth, even though I heard all these things, in my mind I had created this idea that you just had to be good. If you could just be good, you would be okay. The Lord would love you, and you'd go to heaven. That's what I believe. If you just could be good, and you know, I'm good, you know, what... But that Sunday night when I was sitting at Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church, I witnessed a baptism. Now, I believe in baptism by immersion because that's what the Bible teaches. But I also subscribe to it because it is the best picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. Because that night after hearing all that gospel all my life and still thinking I had to be good enough, when I saw that individual baptized, taken under the water and brought back up, it all of a sudden just hit me. I mean, it hit me like a flood. I said, that's what he did. He died for me. He rose for me. I can't do this on my own. I could never be good enough. I recognize that. I, I knew that. And I'm telling you, it was like the Holy Spirit began to burn within my life. And, and I mean, I couldn't get over it. I, again, if you've been saved, if you recognize this, you remember like when the Holy Spirit just like started working and it was like, God, God, please just could you ease up just a little bit? God, could you just get up off me just a little bit? But it was like the Holy Spirit was just there convicting. And we had an old mean deacon or two. Actually, there are a lot of mean deacons you'll find in the world. But there was an old mean deacon or two in our church and our pastor asked one of those to pray that night and I still remember him praying you know what he prayed he said Lord he said if there's anybody here tonight that is under conviction that you're working it with Lord please don't give them a moment's rest or a moment's sleep until they deal with you that seems so mean Especially when I'm lying in bed at night, at midnight, on that Sunday night, saying, Lord, I can't go to sleep because of that deacon. But the Spirit kept speaking. He wouldn't ease off of me. I told my mom on Wednesday night, I said, Mom, I need, I need to do something. After I got home from church, I said, Mom, I need to do something. I need to talk to my pastor. I need to... And, and she was like, what are you talking? I said, I just, I just, I got talking. I don't know why we waited till Sunday, but we waited till Sunday. And I, I said, I said, mom, I've got to see brother Holland. I've got to see him now. I've got to talk to him. And she's like, all right. And I went in his office that morning and his desk, it's kind of funny because my desk looks like his now. The, it, that desk has books like up to here. So you have to kind of look over sometime at people. And he looked over those books at me, and he would say, Are you sure you want to accept Christ as your Savior? I said, Yes, sir, I promise you. I, I, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you certain that you want to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I said, Yes, sir, I do. He said, Are, are you absolutely positive? He asked me three times. I'm like, What kind of preacher is this? I thought he had just baptized me the first time, you know. Three times. He said, are you sure? I said, yes, I am sure. I knew that beyond a doubt that I had to accept Christ. I had to give my life to him. And he led me in a prayer. That was my beginning. 
That was my beginning. Have you ever had a beginning? Paul writes to them and he says, There was a beginning. You accepted. You accepted it in the power of the Spirit and in conviction. This is a question I would ask you this morning. Do you remember when your love relationship with Jesus Christ began? Can you frame it? Do you have a definite time in your life where you say, this is where I started? Because again, I say, you cannot run until you walk. You cannot walk until you take the first step. Have you ever taken the first step in salvation and ultimately growth? Let me give you this. It was a beginning, it was a beginning framed to remember, but it was a beginning filled with repentance as well. Look in verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So here he says, we were in Philippi. You remember that before we came to Thessalonica. If you look at Paul's journeys, Paul had come into the Macedonian area, the Greek area. He had gone to Philippi, and when he preached the message at Philippi, you saw people getting saved. There were like three or four people. It was, it, was, it was awesome. When you go back and look at Acts chapter 16, it's one of the most awesome passages that you will ever find of where God was just, he was saving people, whether it was um, the seller of purple, Lydia, or it was a terrorized girl, slave girl, or whether it was the Philippian jailer, they came to salvation. Well, that didn't sit well with people. And what happened was Paul and Silas were beaten and they were imprisoned. And right after that, they go to Thessalonica. They have scars from where they were beaten at Philippi. They come into Thessalonica and they don't back down. They just keep preaching. They keep telling people about Christ. And it says that we did that in conflict. Why was there conflict? I mean, you read through the experience at Thessalonica and... People got mad. They got very mad. They came, an angry mob. They wanted to get Paul and Silas. They weren't at home, so they, they took the host, Jason, and they pulled him out in front of the marketplace because they were so mad. Why was there so much conflict? Why did the gospel bring conflict? Because the gospel says there is another kingdom. There are other ideals. There are other values. There are other priorities in your life. You know what the gospel says? The gospel says Christ died for you so that you could change. You could be different. God loved you so much that he didn't want to leave you exactly the way you were. He wanted to work in your life to change you and to grow you. When you repent of your sins. Repentance. Repentance means that you turn from the way you were and the priorities and you turn to God. Listen to what the scripture says. It says in verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, look at this, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There was conflict because 
Repentance would bring people directly in opposition to worldly desires. Repentance would call you away from the old idolatry and onto God. Repentance. Did you know that repentance is a part of salvation? It's always been a part of salvation. Repentance. You have to repent of your sins. I said that a few years ago. About three or four years ago, I was talking about repentance. And no, that wasn't the last time I talked about repentance. I can hear people right now. Well, that's the reason the church is in the situation. It's because you had not preached on repentance in so long and all this kind of stuff. I, I didn't say that was the last time. I just said it was three or four years ago when I preached on repentance that I got an email. And the email said, I can't believe you're talking about repentance in connection with salvation. You know what you're doing. You're trying to get people to buy into a works-oriented salvation. It's not about repentance. It's about faith. It's about, you know, it's only, it's the grace of God. It's nothing about repentance. You're talking about works. Folks, I don't know what kind of Bible some people read, but I'm going to tell you that when you're saved, you have to come to a spirit of repentance in who you are. The Bible teaches that. And faith and repentance, they're not exclusive. Faith and repentance Two sides to the same coin. When I say I have faith in Christ, it means I have turned to him. But in the same way, that means I have turned away from those other things that have called to me. So there's repentance that's there. Now, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't fall into things. I probably have repented more since I've been saved than the day of salvation itself. Because I've realized how I've fallen short of the glory of God and I need to repent so often. But repentance is part of salvation. Isn't that what Peter said? When Peter was preaching, he was like, repent. Repentance. Repentance makes a difference. I would be as bold to say this. If there was no repentance in your life when you were saved, you were not saved. No repentance means no salvation. No change in your life means no Christ. In the New Testament, when people accepted Christ, they were different. And some of you say, well, what's different about a 12-year-old? I was 12. And yes, I thought I was pretty good. I hadn't done any bad things. I had not robbed any banks or done anything like that. You know, at the age of 12, I thought I was pretty good. And listen, my mama thought I was a good boy. But I had messed up. I had lied. I thought things I shouldn't do. I had done things I shouldn't have done. And get this. One sin separates us from a holy God. One sin does. Because if God is perfect, one sin makes us imperfect. I had fallen short. I was separated. And the Bible says that if you have broken one command, you have broken all of it. That's how guilty you are before a holy God. Repentance. Repentance should come in your life and it should change who you are. I remember that after I was saved, all I knew was I wanted to know him more. I was 12 years old. I took my little, I still had a children's Bible. It was actually a big one. I took it on my back porch and I read and I read and I read because I wanted to know more and more about him. I remember reading through the patriarchs and I was intrigued by their successes. But also, I was confronted by their weaknesses. I remember reading through the disciples and different aspects of them. and 
I yearned. Now, I'm not telling you I still have done that every day. There have been days when God had to renew me and say, hey, you need to get back to this. But I will tell you, in the days of salvation, I felt a newness, a repentance, a turning from what I had been doing to, to God. Even as a 12-year-old, a heart that had turned toward Him. Repentance will bring us in direct conflict from time to time with what the world offers. Do you know what the Thessalonian citizens said about these missionaries? It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 17, verse 6. I love this verse. It's one of those that you underlined. Because what did it say? It said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Did you hear that? The missionaries were turning the world upside down. Why? Because it was turning values upside down. It was turning kingdom priorities upside down. All of a sudden, there was a newness of thought and ethic and who we are. Because that was repentance. When you repent, you've changed your mind and you've changed your will and you've changed your attitude. You've changed your actions so that you can turn the world upside down. Let me give you this last one because it says... As Paul is writing through this, he said it was a beginning formed through relationships. In verse 5, he said, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. Now, I've got to just stop there. A cloak for covetousness. Some of your translations may not use the word cloak. It may use the word mask. Just thought it was appropriate to talk about a mask here in these times. A mask. He said... We didn't try to put on a cloak, or we didn't try to put on a mask. He was talking about pretense. He said, we weren't trying to put on a spirit of pretense around you because somehow we were going to try to gain financially from serving you. That's what he's really talking about because there were a lot of teachers that would come around, and they were manipulating the congregations. They were trying to some way um, gain Financially, from the congregations, Paul said, we didn't wear a mask of pretense. See, I get so tired of pretense. I get tired of individuals wearing masks. Not the physical mask. Not making a statement. I'm talking about an emotional, deliberate, deceiving mask of pretense. That's what a lot of people put on. Paul said, I didn't do that. Silas didn't do that. He said, we did not seek glory from men, either from you or from your others. And look in verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Do you hear what Paul said? Paul said, in that moment of beginning, when we came to you and we talked to you about the gospel, we gave you the gospel, but we also gave you ourselves. We gave you our lives. The word lives actually comes from the word psyche. Some translations may say souls. Paul said, we shared our souls with you. We gave our souls to you. You know, in the beginning, oftentimes when we come to salvation, it is because there are authentic relationships around us that have somehow fostered an area of growth, in particular, an inspiration to faith. 
relationships. Some of you have been saved. Can you think of people that you thought were real people, that were authentic people, that shared their lives with you, that invested in you, and helped you get to where you are today? I had a little grandmother that stood about this tall. And yes, I still have hard feelings to her because of height and the genetic situation that I'm in today. But oh, how she taught me what faith was. She would talk to me about scriptures. She would encourage me in my work. Even as I surrendered to ministry later on, she was always one who was praying for me. She was the real deal. And she loved me and she impressed the gospel upon my heart. My parents, my pastor, who's still there after all these years, I think almost 50 years serving at the same church. My Sunday school teachers that helped me see what the gospel was. I could name them to you today. Authentic relationships. Paul said, we gave our souls to you. You know, we need, little, we need folks who would just be willing to open themselves up in a transparent way and just share souls with one another. That's the best way to nurture the gospel. You want to bring people to a new beginning? If you want to be a person to help somebody come to faith, live, live the gospel in front of them and tell them who Jesus Christ is and why you are the way you are, thanks to him. Be real. Be authentic. I am convinced that the power of the gospel undergirded by the purity of relationships, allows for a dynamic beginning in the life of Jesus Christ, and it launches us into the growth that we need in him. Put it together. Power of the gospel, purity of the relationships. Power of the gospel, the purity of relationships. How it will make a difference in people's lives. And you can give testimony. So many of you can today. You can stand and say, this is what happened. Jesus Christ came into my life. The Holy Spirit convicted me. And it was because some of the people around me, some of the people, maybe like my family members or maybe my friends or maybe a teacher somewhere, somebody loved me and shared their soul with me so that I could come to this place. I'm going to talk more about these two images next week. But notice how Paul and Silas borrowed on the parental imagery to talk about how much he cared, they cared verse 7 but we were gentle among you just as nursing mother cherishes her own children verse 11 as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children hear that he said we didn't come in we weren't trying to be dictators we weren't trying to domineer he said we were just like a mother trying to nurture you we were like a father trying to encourage you and challenge you that's who we are and the beginning came because of these unique, authentic relationships. So growth has to have a beginning. It does. Some of you today, you have had a beginning in Christ. I ask you that question again. Do you remember, do you remember when you began your love relationship with Jesus Christ? If you can, think back to it. Let it settle you. Let it put you 
in a place as you remember it. Listen, as you remember it, I pray that the passion that you had then would invade your life once again and that you would want to serve him with everything that you have because of what Jesus has done. Because I'll tell you this, you are just, we, we are just as needy today as we ever have been. And I needed salvation just as much today as I needed salvation back then. It was through the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace, the only reason I could have life. And I tell you, I need to celebrate it, and I need to shout it. I need to be excited about it. I need to have passion. And maybe you need to remember. You need to remember how the repentance came through the relationships that you had with others. And those of you who are saved, how selfish we are sometimes. That all of those people invested in us, and yet we have yet to invest in other people like that. We are to be investing and influencing. But I say to you today that if you you can't recall a moment where you just said, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I confess my sin. I put my faith in you. I repent of my sin. Come into my life and say, it's something like that. If If you've never done that, then you need a beginning. This is good news. You can begin your growth in Christ today. If you will step toward him, trust him, and believe him, and who he says he is, and what he wants to accomplish in your life. I'm going to ask you to do that in just a moment as we extend this invitation, a commitment. Would you hear it? Would you hear the call? Whether you're If you're not saved to come or whether you are saved, if you just need to simply lean back in to what he's done for you in the beginning that he's made, listen. Be obedient to the Spirit's call in your life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we praise you that you give new beginnings. And all of us need those beginnings. All of us have fallen short, everyone in this place. But God, you made a provision through Jesus. You loved us while we were still sinners. Lord, you loved us when we had broken your heart. You loved us when we were spitting in your face. You loved us. And you still sent your one and only son on our behalf. And Lord, I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. And this morning, here in this place, I pray for that one, for those that have never given themselves to you freely and fully. God, they may have said a few words years back and, Lord, not try to create doubt at all. But, God, I pray that you would help them see the decisiveness of salvation in their hearts and lives. Pray that today would be a beginning where they could grow truly in you as they repent of their sins and they follow you. For those of us who save, Lord, give us a new look at it. Remind us. Give us renewal. Give us commitment. Help us to be the people who are reaching out in authentic relationships to others. Because every day, every day is a matter of life and death and eternity when it comes to salvation. Now, God, speak to us. Move.
in this moment of commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?